Well, a few years ago, I was listening to the program director of the Coalition for Homelessness Intervention and Prevention of Indianapolis, or it's called CHIP for short, which you probably use a lot more than that long name. He was sharing in his presentation that through collaboration and some research-driven uh, data, they've been able to reduce the homeless population from almost double what it was at that time. And at that time, he said it was about in the 1500s. Uh, I looked on their website recently and saw that in their January 30th, 2019 point in time count, they had registered 1,567, but a rising number of women and children. Now that number fluctuates constantly because that's a very fluid population. But here's what surprised me in his presentation. He said that when somebody asked him a question about what, what do you do when you see someone at those interstate exit ramps, and they got the little signs that say, homeless, please help, or at a stoplight, what do you do? Because it just tugs at our heartstrings and you want to do something. His suggestion was that you should not give money to one of those persons. And here were his reasons. Number one, most of the time we discover they're not actually homeless. Secondly, he said, if they are homeless, when you give them money, you're actually enabling them and not forcing them to be driven to the agencies that can provide <clears throat> the long-term help that has the expertise that's necessary and the resources to help change their situation for the long term. I found that a challenging understanding. So if that bothers you, I suggest you get a little packet of hygiene products and give that to them. At least you know that's always going to be helpful. If you want to know more about the homeless situation in Indianapolis as well as in Hamilton County, I suggest that you go to um, chipindy.org or go to the Family Promise of Hamilton County as we're working on that issue right here in Hamilton County. Well, those are challenging words, but they point out the reality that sometimes our help doesn't really help. Instead, it sometimes can enable. It can happen in other situations too. Those of you that are parents or have been parents, you ever have one of those times when one of your children uh, comes to you at 8 o'clock on a Sunday night and says, I've got to run to the store and get markers and poster board because i got this project that's due at school tomorrow. That ever happened to you? It certainly happened to me a few times. And you're stuck as a parent. What do you do? Do you enable them and encourage their failure to plan by rushing out there and getting them supplies or do you say no and then take the hit of them getting a bad grade on that particular project? It's a tough call, isn't it? But there again, do I help or do I enable? Well, all these are what we call boundary issues. And these are issues that we face every day of our lives, both in challenging families, complicated families, and also good families. And there's issues like one family member not being responsible, or it can happen at work with a coworker or a boss who takes advantage of you at times, or sometimes even in our friendships where there's not that natural give and take that should be taking place. So just to help you get a little flavor of what I'm talking about here, let me borrow a scenario that was put together by Dr. Townsend and Dr. Henry Cloud uh, in a book on boundaries. And they created this composite person that's so descriptive, and they've named her Sherry. So let me walk you through the, the typical day of this woman named Sherry. 
She wakes up at 6 a.m. And when she wakes up, she's already tired and she's not even out of bed yet. And then she's got this feeling of dread. And then she remembers why she has that feeling of dread. She's got an appointment today in the afternoon at her son Todd's school, who's nine years old. And the only thing that she's been told is it's about his behavior. That's never a good thing, is it? But she's got too much to do, so she gets herself out of bed. She's a 35-year-old mother of two, a 9-year-old and a 6-year-old, and she's got to get them ready, and she's got to take time in the next uh, hour to get the costume sewn for Amy's costume for the school play. She had planned to do it the night before, but her mother came over. Her mother lives nearby. She's 12 years a widow and she's all by herself, and so even though she had offered to listen to her mother while she worked on that costume, she just knew what her mother would say, and so she put it aside to give her her full attention because she knew her mother's needs, and they were very needy. So at 6.45 a.m., the next hour is just chaos. She rushes to get the kids. They complain when they get out of bed, walk her husband complains because they don't get to the table on time, but somehow she gets them all out the door, even walls in his car, and they're gone by the time that they've got to be at 7.45. She's in her car on the way to work, and she's putting her makeup on on the way to work, thank God for traffic jams sometimes. But it's 8.45, which means she's a few minutes late for work. She hopes that her co-workers don't mind, but she notices as she sneaks her way into the board room a little rolling of their eyes, and she mumbles out something about traffic is crazy. Her morning goes pretty well. She's a valued employee at McAllister's Enterprises. She is a fashion designer and a very good one, and so her work is valued, and she's enjoyed that until at 11.59 she gets a phone call from her friend Lois Thompson. And Lois Thompson's one of these people that seems more of a client than a friend. She's just always got something uh, going on. She's high strung and, and she's got this complaint and that complaint. And, and when you start to share your issues in a normal give and take, she always has this ability to change the subject. And so before she knows it, half of her lunch hour is gone. She has to rush out and grab a sandwich to get through the afternoon. It's 4 o'clock. It's time to get out the door to go to her son's appointment at school. And just as she's walking out the door, her boss, Jeff, says, Oh, and he's got an envelope in his hands full of papers. Do you mind tonight uh, writing and editing this, getting it ready for the presentation tomorrow morning? And even though this is one of many times Jeff has done this to her, she good ploy that she is, says, sure, Jeff, it's no problem at all. Glad I can help. And she takes it with her. 4.30 p.m., she's in the school meeting with the teacher and discovers what Todd's problem is. The teacher describes it this way. He's not a bad child. When he minds, he's one of the most enjoyable kids in the classroom. But when they're supposed to be working on their own, he tends to get up and pesters other kids and won't stop talking. And the teacher inquires, how are things at home? And with that, Sherry loses it. She throws her face in her hands and starts sobbing uncontrollably and confesses that they're having the same problem with Todd at home. 
It's 6.30 p.m. And Sherry yells for the fourth time, it's dinner time. And finally, the kids come rambling in and her husband, Walt, and by that time, as usual, the dinner is cold. She's halfway through dinner, and the phone rings. She's tempted to let it just stay ringing, but then she has this gnawing feeling it might be somebody that needs her. And so she goes, answers the phone, and on the phone is Phyllis from church. And Phyllis explains that Margie was going to handle the activities for this weekend's women's retreat, and Margie's gotten sick and can't come. I was wondering if you would be able, Sherry, to put a few activities together for the women's retreat. And Sherry had almost forgotten about the women's retreat. She actually was kind of looking forward to it. It was going to be a weekend away from the kids and Walt. But now the retreat's not going to be so much a retreat because that Christian guilt kicks in and she says, I'll be happy to help. Finally, evening comes. Dinner's finished. Walt's planted himself in front of the TV to watch the football game. Todd's on the phone inviting a friend over, and Amy, her daughter, is in her room not to be seen the rest of the night, and somehow the dishes are still on the table. She's not sure if they're too young to take that kind of responsibility, but she gets that cleaned up. She sits down and does the work she needs to do for her boss, Jeff, and by the time it's done, she gets the kids off to bed, and then she thinks, well, maybe I'll have a little bit of time with Walt, and this might be the opportunity to talk about getting on the same team and being in tune with one another and as she walks into that family room the tv now has got a late night comedian on and she says walt can we talk walt and walt's sound asleep now do you see any boundary issues anywhere in all that i mean there's numerous examples we could talk about she needs to structure her visits with her mom to put her family first. She needs to get Walt to step up and take responsibility as a parent and around the household chores. She needs to let, quit letting her boss abuse her. Her children are not learning responsibility, and Todd's living out at school what he sees at home. And Sherry's faith, instead of helping her, is feeding her overfunctioning. Do you think God wants her to go around stressed all day? Do you think God's pleased with how all these other people are getting away with not being responsible? Well, you turn your Bibles and you find it talks about boundary issues. The passage that Pastor Aaron read to us today is filled with them. It warns us not to waste God's sacred love on people who are going to trample on it. it tells us to seek out righteousness, intention, with intention, and you will receive. That there is a narrow way to what works in God's kingdom. That there is judgment that will someday reveal if the deeds that we have reflect the faith that's in our hearts. God has boundaries that need to be respected. And there's many other examples. What about the story of Adam and Eve? There's lots of freedom in the garden, right? They can do, there's all kinds of pleasures, but there's one limit not to eat of the fruit, the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Or we could talk about Jesus. Jesus had limits. Find this passage from Mark 1, 
32-38. I won't read the whole passage, but if you read this, you'd discover that Jesus has been healing the sick all day. And it says he goes off by himself. It says he rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer, a boundary. But eventually Simon found him and said, hey, everyone's looking for you. But Jesus, instead of heading in the direction of the crowd, goes in the other direction because he has other things that God has for him to do. Even Jesus had his limits. And he had to do what he needed to do to make sure he could live out the kingdom of God. Remember that story of the pool of Bethsaida and the man who's been lame for 38 years? He sees Jesus and he complains that when that, that water stirred, as the legend has it, the first person in can be healed, but he has no one to help him get into that water. And Jesus suggests to him, he first asks this question. It's a pointed question. Do you want to be healed? It's a pertinent question. And after hearing his complaint, he then says, rise, get up, and take your mat and walk. A lot of Bible scholars believe that Jesus was trying to make sure that he was ready to take responsibility for his life and leave behind that life of dependency. You turn to Paul's letters and you find even more. He warned us to separate ourselves from people who are acting in destructive ways in the faith community. One of his spiritual gifts is self-control. And Paul warns us in 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter, and let me read the message version of this, which is a paraphrase, but it really brings out the spirit of this passage. Don't you remember the rule we had when we lived with you? If you don't work, you don't eat. And now we're getting reports that a bunch of lazy good-for-nothings are taking advantage of you. This must not be tolerated. We command them to get to work immediately. No excuses, no arguments, and earn their own keep. Puts it pretty bluntly, doesn't he? So boundaries are biblical, and they're necessary to, for us to function well as individuals, as the body of Christ, and also with our families, our neighbors, and our coworkers. So how do we understand the boundaries, and how do we live into that? You see some tape caution that reminds us of the lines that are there that can be passed, stepped over, and often they are, but they're there for a reason, kind of like geographical boundaries. We also have personal relational boundaries. It's kind of like watching a football game. Can you imagine playing a football game without boundaries? They could just go wherever you want. But we know, if you watch the Colts today, that if a wide receiver catches the ball, they've got to get both feet in bounds, and they've got to control the ball, or it's not a catch. Boundaries and rules are important, and they're important for our own personal lives as well. But so often in some families, those boundaries get blurred, don't they? Especially in dysfunctional families, but also in good families that can happen. It's not unusual for one person to be over-functioning or under-functioning. So we need to learn when to say no and when to say yes. And that's the challenge. Now, here's what I see happening sometimes. I see Christians who, fueled by our faith, have said yes over and over again. They got themselves overextended like you wouldn't believe. And then they read a book like Cloud and Townsend, 
And all of a sudden, they start saying no everywhere. Pastors don't like that. But it needs to be done because we can't say yes to everything. But we don't want to say no to everything either because sacrifice is in our DNA, isn't it? Our Lord and Savior died on a cross and tells us that there is a cross for us. It's just that we're not supposed to have everybody's cross, right? We need to learn to say yes and learn when to say no. It'd be nice for me to have this nice list of points to tell you this is how you know, but we don't really have time for that. But let me give you a couple principles that might be helpful. In general, when you are doing something for someone else that they can clearly do on their own, you are over-functioning. You've crossed the boundary. And the best barometer of knowing that you are crossing those boundaries is when you get angry, when you feel this buildup of frustration with a relationship or a person over and over, then you're probably over-functioning and need to stop and evaluate. And I would suggest to you that when you're in any helping situation, especially if you're trying to help with somebody you don't know, and that includes our ministries, you need to stop and seek God's guidance. Is this really helping in the long term, or are we enabling? Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 through 10 kind of gives a little helpful understanding of this. In verse 2, it says, carry each other's burdens so that you'll fulfill the law of Christ. And then in 5, it says, each person will have to carry their own load. It describes a balance, doesn't it? Now, those are two different Greek words. The first one is burden, and it suggests a short-term situation. And we all know about those, don't we? We've probably experienced them ourselves. When we feel so overwhelmed, we really need a little help for a while. But we don't want that help forever, do we? You don't want to be dependent on someone. And so that other word actually means like cargo. We all have our own responsibility, a load to carry. And the challenge is when those get out of balance. So we need to distinguish between what is a burden that's short term and what is our cargo, what is our load. Sometimes we need the help of a counselor to figure that out or, or just a wise person. Sometimes it just takes a, a third party that's a little more objective to say, you know, I notice you're doing this, and that's very helpful. Life is full of situations where we just need to ask, are we helping or are we enabling? I hope you'll consider the importance of boundaries and realize that God created life with limits for our benefit and for his creation so that it can function well. I pray that we'll seek the Spirit of God to know where those boundaries need to be drawn for our own spiritual health and for the well-being of all that we have the opportunity to influence. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you help us to distinguish when we're helping and when we're enabling. And if we know of a situation that's complicated right now, give us the wisdom that we need. Give us the strength to say no. But also give us the discernment to know where we actually need to say yes. Because you have given your life on our behalf on a cross. We do have that sacrificial nature in our Christian DNA. 
but help us to live into that in the healthiest of ways. This we ask in the name of your Son. Amen.